This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Bottom of page 37. Furthermore, I earnestly ask of my esteemed listeners, on the above matters between man and Hashem, the altar Rebbe referred to himself as merely repeating reminders. Here, however, as he began to speak of the relationship between man and man, he uses stronger terms. When you speak between man and God, you can use lofty language, but uh, when you talk about the uh, interhuman relations, here you got to use a little TOT. Tachel is a little stronger language to get through. You can't get away with lofty. So he says, I'm demanding of you. And he says, Mi malaschem. literally means for my esteemed listeners. Now, Alter Rebbe wrote his letters to all the Hasidim, not only to those who are esteemed, the elite, the 1%, the top 10, everyone. So why is he addressing it? the esteem, Malasa. But the Alter Rebbe is giving us the strength to be esteemed. He says, I'm going to help you become esteemed. If you're not esteemed yet, <laughs> I'm going to help you become esteemed by acting. I, I, by acting that way, acting like someone who's esteemed, I'm going to lift you up. That's what the Alter Rebbe is there for. That's what the Rebbe is there for. There was once a uh, Rabbi Weinberg, the one who... Uh, actually produced the lessons in Tanya. His radio show, the Rebbe edited, that we're studying from the book. And there was once an emergency, and he, he wasn't, the Rebbe was not accessible, and he slipped a paper under the door. And the, the Rebbe bent down and picked up the paper and uh, gave a blessing in the situation. He saved the situation. But later on, Rabbi Weinberg apologized to the Rebbe for forcing him to bend down to the floor have him scoop up the paper. So the Rebbe says, my whole job in life is to lift up. <laughs> but don't apologize, that's what I'm here for. So the Alter Rebbe is saying, from the esteemed ones, it means to lift up, from those who are lifted. So my job is to lift you up. If you're not lifted up yet, I am going to uh, help you lift you. And that's the effect that the Rebbe has on his Hasidim. The Rebbe could lift up his Hasidim to a higher level they could on their own. Not to cast aside my words, in which I have asked that every man be upright and walk with integrity, just as Hashem made man upright. And here he's the, making a direct demand. He's, he's trying to influence as a Rebbe, as a teacher with his students, he's trying to influence and saying, this is what I demand of you, as I have spoken to you, that a person should walk upright with integrity. Nor to seek numerous calculations regarding the pretext man's steps and a person's thoughts and devices. It is not man's task to weigh the motives of his fellow. He's asking of his chassidim not to judge their fellow Jew. 
don't judge them. It's not your business to get into their business, into their personal business, and to get into their personal... You don't have to go digging. You're not an investigative reporter. You have to go digging into their... Um, into their level and where they're at and if they're doing well and not, not so well, how they are spiritually. He says, you should act with integrity and don't try, don't try to calculate. Don't be so uh, judgmental of another person. Don't sit and judge another person's character and how he's behaving. It is not man's task to weigh the motives of his fellow. For that is the work of heaven and not an occupation for flesh and blood. Let Hashem, it's Hashem's business to judge. God is the judge. He never hired us. He never appointed us as his prosecutors. And he never asked us to sit in judgment of other people. It's too late with this one. <laughs> <laughs> but how does that reconcile with... Um, Rebuke. So, yes. Yeah, it's a mitzvah. Not only is it okay to rebuke, it's a mitzvah to rebuke. But then, that if it's your friend, and you have an influence over, and you can you can tell him something that will change his behavior, and even that is to be approached very clinically, and not judging, and not condemning, just mm-hmm. out of caring and out of love, and very coolly, you have to uh, help help the situation, but. If it's not your friend, then it's not someone you can influence. So it's none of your business. Well, who, who asked you to sit and judge and to calculate and to sit in judgment of another person? It's not productive, it's not useful, it's not beneficial. Right. Leave it up to Hashem. Let God be the judge. Why do we have to be the judge and the jury and the executioner? And the it doesn't change anything anyway. doesn't change anything anyway, correct. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. So why waste any time? Why waste any energy? It's just very healthy. Just, just leave it. Leave it for Rather, everyone should believe with absolute faith in the precept of our sages of blessed memory and be humble of spirit before every man without exception. For it is a true statement and a correct proverb that every man becomes better through his fellow. Since every individual possesses specific qualities that others lack, the realization by disparate people that in essence they comprise one whole enables them all to be complemented and perfected by each other. So if you remember the Tanya, the first part of the Tanya, chapter 30, Dr. Rebbe also explained this Mishnah, chapter 4 in Ethics of Our Fathers. Rabbi Meir says that you should be humble before every person. And the Alter Rebbe gives a whole different explanation. Actually, seemingly a contradictory explanation to what he's saying there. Here, he, there he says you have to reflect and meditate that even the low life really is greater than you, and you're a bigger low life than him. And, and he gets into the nitty gritty, into the specifics. Here, he's saying, without getting into the nitty gritty, into the specifics, he says, don't get into the nitty gritty. Don't just have faith. Complete faith. It's a fact. Everyone is better than I. <laughs> Everyone is better than me. So why the difference? And he says why? Because everyone needs the other. And he's going to explain. It's like the um, it's like the human organism. The human organism is made up of many different limbs. But every limb is unique. Every limb adds something, contributes something, is a leader. Every limb is a leader. 
everyone complements each other. When the brain wants to go study, go to the library, it looks to the legs, and these healthy legs to take it to the library. So then the legs become the head, and the brain is the follower. Every organ in the body is indispensable, is unique. There are no, even appendix, which means extra. Today they hesitate before they remove the appendix because they realize it's not extra. Nothing in the body is extra. There are no spare tires in the body. Everything is there for a reason. Everything contributes something unique. So when you realize that we're all one, and we're all like one living organism, and there never was a Jew like you, and there never will be a Jew like you, throughout the history of the Jewish people, every one of us contributes something unique to the Jewish experience. So therefore, you have to look up to everyone. Everyone is a leader. Everyone is unique, and in, in their uniqueness, they are superior to you. You depend on them in relation regard to this quality. So it's not like, it's not false humility. It's genuine, it's for real. Everyone is superior to me, because in that area that they're contributing, that they're bringing to the table, no one in the world could bring to the table what they could bring to the table. So in that area, they are superior to me. In my area, I'm superior to them. Everyone, it, it's all correct. They look at me as superior, I look at them as superior, and it's all right. You're right and you're right, and everyone is right, because in that area. And the difference between the Alter Rebbe explains it here, the way the Alter Rebbe explained it, in the first part of the Tanya, Lessons in Tanya.com, chapter 30, is the different versions. It says, Adam. Adam, Adam refers to the Jewish people. And that's what he's explaining here. And that's the version that Alter Rebbe brings, cho- chooses in the Siddur, in the prayer book. That you should be humble before every single Jew. Since all Jews are connected, we're like one living dynamic organism, so therefore every one of us is superior, contributes something unique, and is, is a leader, and is ahead of us in that area. There, in the first part of the Tanya, the Alter Rebbe chooses the other version. You should be humble before kol ha'adam. Ha'adam refers to every human being, not just the Jew. Seven billion people, every human being is superior to me. The Rebbe says, wait a minute, how can you say that every human being is superior to me? What's that supposed to mean? And he goes on to explain, as he explains over there. That's a whole different explanation, a whole different understanding. Because you have to compare apples to apples, etc. You can go listen to it in Lessons in Tanya.com, chapter 3. So that's what he's explaining over here. Um... He says, since every individual possesses specific qualities that others lack, so the realization by disparate people that in essence they comprise one whole enables them all to be complemented and perfected by each other. So it's not only that each one is superior to the other, but each one needs the other. I am fixed through my friend. I become better through, through my friend. I need my friend. We all depend on each other. We all need each other. It's a much stronger connection. It's not only that he's greater than I am, but he affects me for the better. There's something I can learn from him. There's something I need to learn from him. There's something I need to look up to him. So we all need each other. We all depend on each other. So if we're all connected, and we're all, that creates real a real sense of unity. So he says... 
So believe it with complete faith. It's a fact. Every one of us, every Jew is superior to me. And I need that Jew. And I'm a student. In that one area that that Jew is unique, I understand. I depend on him. I look up to him. So there's respect. It's not just love, that I love the other Jew. There's also respect. I respect the other Because I need him. I need to learn from him. He's my teacher. He's, he's... I depend on him. I will become better through him. So there's a tremendous sense of respect and love to the fellow Jew. Just hey. to what is written, all the men of Israel are associated together like one man. Just as one man is composed of many limbs, and when they become separated, this affects the heart, and from it there issues life. Therefore, by our truly being all like one man... You know, the famous Bayless trial, the last blood libel in Russia, where they accused the Jews of killing a Christian child. The fifth Babajar Rebbe was very involved in, in helping, telling the lawyer how to, giving him advice. And they won the case. It was a very celebrated case. One of the things that the prosecution brought up against the Jewish people, he says, look what a racist Talmud you have. Talmud says that you, the Jewish people, are called Adam. The only real men are Jews. Everyone else must be a bunch of monkeys. Adam, Korea, Adam, you're called Adam. And this lawyer brilliantly answered and he said, he says, you don't understand what the Talmud is saying. Adam refers to Jew. When it says Ha-Adam, it can refer to anyone. But Adam, Adam is the singular. What the Talmud is saying, you, the Jewish people, are called Adam. The world looks at you as one. One Jew does something wrong, and the whole world condemns every Jew in the world. If a, if a Christian does something wrong, no one condemns all the Christians. If millions of Muslims do something wrong, of course, God forbid, we should blame all the Muslims. God forbid, it's a crime. But one Jew does something wrong, and the whole world comes down, and the entire Jewish people are like a ton of bricks. Because we are like one. There's a unity an innate unity amongst the Jewish people. It's not an artificial unity. There are many unions, there are many political groups, they get together. They're unified by a certain theme, a certain common goal. But it's a superficial external unity. It's like people who are traveling in a boat together. They have to get to a destination, so they band together. They have to survive the journey, so they better stick together, work together to get to the shore safely. And once they get to the shore, everyone will part ways and go their own way. So you have political groups, you have all different groups. People come together because they share a common interest and they work together. But it's a very superficial unity. With Jews, it's an innate unity. It's an inherent unity. That's why you're called Adam. You're like one, like one organism. We don't speak the same language. We speak all the languages of the world. But when you meet a fellow Jew, you travel anywhere in the world, you meet a fellow Jew, you instantly feel at home. You feel like family. You walk into any shul in the world, you're at home. Because the same Torah, same Jew, you know, it's like it's like discovering you never knew you had a, a, a brother or a sister. You're an American, they're French, you don't speak the same language. You would feel closer to them than anyone and your neighbor that you grew up with. Because that's, that's your blood, that's your brother, it's your sister. Jews are family. There's a unity, a connection. 
that we all feel. That's innate and inherent. That's what he says. The Jewish people are one. This is our strength. This is the secret of our strength. This is the secret of our survival. The unity. That's the envy of the world. It doesn't exist. This level of unity, this type of unity, doesn't exist anywhere in the world. It's not political. It's not. It's nothing external. Nothing external holds us together. We speak all the languages of the world. It, it's, it's, it's a soul connection. We're Jewish. We're part of one dynamic living organism. We're part of the Jewish people, the Jewish whole. And we're family. And every one of us contributes. And every one of us is indispensable. Every Jew feels that they're indispensable. There's not a single extra Jew. God didn't create a single extra Jew. He needs every, all 53,000 Jews living in the Upper East Side to identify as Jews, and to feel proud of their Jewishness, and to connect as Jews, and to feel part of it. He needs every Jew in the world to identify and to feel part of it, to connect. Everyone is indispensable. Now what happens if one Jew is missing? You're crippled. One finger is missing. But I'm in Jerusalem, and I'm praying, and I'm swaying, and I'm dancing, and I'm... I'm in ecstasy and I'm immersed in mysticism. Yeah, but there's one Jew in Alaska who doesn't identify as a Jew. You're missing a pinky, you're missing a pinky, you're a cripple. Every Jew is indispensable. We can't do it alone. It's not possible, no matter how great we are. That's why you have nine Moses. Moses they come to Shul to daven with a minion because they need to be part of the community. They need to connect with that cobbler, that simple Jew, that 13-year-old bar mitzvah boy, to make the minion, because no matter how great we are individually, every Jew is indispensable. Every Jew contributes something that's unique, and we all need each other. We can't do this alone. It's not possible. Just like the human body. We need every single organ in the body. We need every last Jew. So therefore, there's a healthy sense of unity, of love, of respect, of connection. Therefore, by our truly being all like one man, the service of Hashem in the heart will be firmly established. We are like the heart. Jewish people are like the heart of the world. Yeah, yeah. So the heart is only healthy if the blood pumps and flows smoothly throughout the whole organism. God forbid there's a blood clot and the blood stops flowing in one organ, the blood circulates throughout the whole body. But if the blood cannot circulate, and God forbid there's a heart, you get a heart attack. You get a stroke, you get a heart attack, you can die. So the health of the world, the health of the Jewish people, the health of the universe, and the health, so to speak, of the divine is dependent on the free flow of this energy, of this life flow. When the blood can flow and circulate freely, when Jews feel united and Jews love each other and respect each other and feel connected with each other, then there's life. And God forbid where there's friction and there's lack of respect and there's lack of love, and there's tension and there's a separation of the heart that stops the circulation, that stops the flow of energy, that stops life, that, gets in, that interrupts life, that gets in the way of life and blessings. So if you're in your heart, you're angry at another Jew. In your heart, you're, 
upset at another Jew. In your heart, you don't like that other Jew, you don't love that other Jew, you don't respect that other Jew. It creates a tremendous negative effect on the whole universe, and Hashem himself. There is a lot of animosity we love all Jews beyond labels. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Uh, we don't accept these artificial labels, and we don't accept... We love every Jew for who they really are. Not for who they think they are, <laughs> but who they really are. Even their own, their own uh, prejudice or their own way of looking at themselves, you know. Thank God we're not who we think we are. There's so much more to us than meets the eye. So the event was a perfect example of that. This whole life was the Right. The Rebbe embodies the unity of the Jewish people. How each Jew is indispensable and plays an indispensable role in the Jewish whole. Absolutely. The Rebbe was a living embodiment of this idea of Klaal the Jewish whole, and the place, the unique place of every individual within this whole. So we have to be like one person. Then prayer could be established. Because how can you approach Hashem and pray? Pray with a heart. If in your heart you're angry, you're upset, disrespect, dislike, don't love, don't appreciate your fellow Jew. It creates a spiritual tension. You know, we may not feel it, but anyone who's sensitive can feel it. You know, Balshemtiv once showed his students there were two Jews who were fighting in Shul. It happens occasionally. <laughs> yes, they're yelling at each other. And he says, I'm going to tear you like a fish. I'm going to tear you apart like a fish. Then the Vashemta put their, his hands on those closest to him and he created a circle and told them to close their eyes. And they saw, literally, how one of them is tearing the other person into like a fish, tearing him up, killing him. And they were so horrified. Vashemta says that everything that we think creates an energy. And yes, he didn't take a knife and stab him, but spiritually speaking, he did. It has the same effect. So anyone who's spiritually in tune, spiritually sensitive, senses it. There's a, there's a tension. There's a dissonance. There's a blockage. There's a blood clot. The blood can flow. The blessing can flow. It is where there's aleph, there's base. Where there's aleph, there's achdus, there's unity. Base, there's bracha, there's blessing. Where there's the opposite, then... You don't have blessing. In order for there to be blessing, there has to be unity. But in order for there to be unity, you have to go beyond your ego. As long as we're stuck with these labels and we're stuck with our own ego, then one ego clashes with the other ego. Can't get along with the other person. You know, the other person gets in my way. You know, everyone, everyone is stepping on me. You know, the other person gets in the way. Because you spread yourself all over and everyone steps on you. But, so person has to really be in tune with, the, with his soul to realize that on the soul level we're all one. Our bodies are separate. We're 14 million Jews, but we're one soul. We're part of the Jewish whole, the Jewish people. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. So there's no 
superiority complexes, inferiority complexes, no such thing as a small Jew, a tiny Jew, insignificant Jew, important Jews. That's ego, that's arrogance, that's politics, that's false, that's absurd. That's what creates tension, that's what creates artificial barriers. Oh, special Jews, those Jews versus those Jews, us versus them, Jews in Israel versus us outside of Israel. I mean, all these artificial barriers were all one people, Shvardi Jews, Ashkenazi Jews, Israel Jews, outside of Israel, we're all one, we're one people. All these artificial barriers, that means nothing. They speak different languages and different customs, and what, what difference does it make? There's one Jew, there's one Torah, there's one God. We're all one. So a person has to be in touch with his soul. So when you're praying to Hashem, and you're doing the service of the heart, which is a spiritual service, this could interfere. Unless you feel that unity, unless you feel that connection to other Jews, and we're all one, and we're all in this together, and you know, everyone is better than me, and everyone is superior to me, and everyone is indispensable, and I depend on each and every Jew, and I need them, and I need their participation. And I am not whole without them. If the pinky is missing, the rest of the organism is a cripple. I am not whole unless that Jew is being the best Jew that he can be. So if there's one Jew in the world that's not being the best Jew that that Jew can be, we're all, we're all in a sorry state, we're all crippled, we're all missing. So I have to take, I have to make it my responsibility to help every single Jew. My life depends on it. The way it's very selfish. I love myself, I love the other Jew. Because I am the other Jew and the other Jew is me. We're, in this, we're in, inseparable. We're one. Not only we're one, that we're all part of something greater than ourselves. It's very easy to love Jews in a general way. We're all part of something greater than us. We all belong to the Jewish people, and we're all part of this glorious people. Here, he's saying something much deeper. When every Jew is unique, their own personality and their own character, Every Jew is different than the other Jew. And yet, that differentiation doesn't become a barrier. That differentiation becomes a reason to celebrate our unity. Because you are unique and you have your own unique personality and your own unique character and your own unique way of thinking, that's why you add something. You contribute something that's unique. And we all need you. And we depend on you and we learn from you. So we celebrate our differences. And our differences contribute to the unity. It doesn't become a reason for friction, for dividing us, but our differences actually becomes a reason to celebrate and to deepen our unity. We're so unified that we, each and every one of us, contribute something to the whole, just like the human organism. The human organism is one, absolutely one. Every organ feels it's part of something larger than all of us put together. But each organ is unique. They have nothing in common. Nothing, they don't look alike in any way, shape, or form. Every organ is so different and so unique. Looks different. Its function is different. And when each organ functions in its own unique way, together, they work in harmony. Then you have a healthy organism, a vibrant, robust organism. So this is... This is how one Jew feels towards each other. If 
to celebrate our individuality, celebrate our uniqueness, celebrate the other Jews' uniqueness, and that should strengthen our unity. Then we can stand before Hashem and pray. Only then. Let's put it that way. If we were unified, Mashiach would be here in a second. <laughs> That's why the uh, Satan, the Satan, the Yitzhahara, puts out all stops. He can agree with everything. But one thing he'll never agree to is Jewish unity. Because he knows if Jews are unified, he's out of business. So he'll do everything in his power to sow friction and so to divide Jews. Because then he's in business. When Jews are unified, he's out of business. He's terrified of Jewish unity. But each one of us contributes to that division in, in some way. You have to be honest about that. True. True. So, if this is so important, why don't we start the davening, let's say 15 minutes of meditation, and we're all connected? Actually, we do start the davening. The first, the first thing we say before davening is, Hareini, Mekabel, Olai, Mitzvah Saseh, Shel, Vyahaftal, Rehavikamrech. I take upon myself to fulfill the mitzvah of love your fellow Jew like yourself. That's the beginning of davening. That's the first line. Because that is, that sets the tone. That sets the tone for the whole, for the whole thing. That's the key. They have to learn. It'll be on lessonsintani.com very soon. They have to learn, they have to learn Tanya, which I tell you. Tanya is not, uh, is not a luxury. It's a necessity. Every Jew in the world is to learn Tanya. Otherwise, you're clueless. You know, how are we supposed to bring Mashiach or get by without the information? This is vital, critical information for our well-being. Also, if you want to be blessed, we want Hashem to answer our prayers. This is the answer. This is the key. The more unified we are, Hashem will, the blood flows, circulates. Hashem blesses us. The blessings just flow through, materialize. So this is the key that opens everything up. But Alter Rebbe is begging and pleading and demanding. He says, don't throw my, don't cast aside my words. I'm asking you, walk with integrity. Behave in this way. To consider both this uh, divisiveness and this harmony on the cosmic level in terms of the relation of souls to the divine presence the above sentence means that divisiveness among Jews affects, as it were, the divine presence, the heart of the Jewish people. Conversely, since the task of prayer is to connect the soul with its source in the Shekhinah, the divine presence, cultivating one's sense of unity with one's fellow, which in turn connects also with the Shekhinah, enhances the divine service of prayer. And from the affirmative, you may infer the negative. In keeping with rabbinic usage, the bracketed clause is euphemistically omitted in the Hebrew and merely hinted at, i.e., etc. That is, when unity is lacking, the service of prayer is likewise imperfect. This is why it is said to serve Hashem with one purpose, literally with one part or with one shoulder, only when all Jews fully unite in this way can it be said that they serve Right. It's like a condition. The only way to serve Hashem is when Jews feel like they're one shoulder, they're one. They're one body, they're one organism. We're, we're all pulling together. We're all pulling in the same direction. We're carrying the same 
wait. So only when the Jew feels all in this together and feels part of the Jewish people and feels the love for each individual Jew, not just I love the Jewish people in general, but I love and respect each individual Jew. Each individual Jew is superior to me and I need him and he's my teacher and he's my, and I depend on him. So only then could we truly serve Hashem. The Alba Rebbe resumes his plea to his Hasidim. Therefore, my beloved and dear ones, I beg again and again that each of you exert himself with all his heart and soul to firmly implant in his heart a love for his fellow Jew. And in the words of Scripture, let none of you consider in your heart what is evil for his fellow. Moreover, such a consideration should never arise in one's heart in the first place. And now he's going to say one of the most powerful lines in the whole time. And if it does arise, for even a person who has attained the rank Benini cannot prevent a thought from presenting itself to his mind. One should push it away from his heart, as smoke is driven away, as if it were an actual idolatrous thought. Al-Tarebi is saying, what would happen, God forbid, a thought popped into your head. You started thinking of a Salem. You envisioned a, a cross. You would be horrified. You would kick it out of your head. You would, you, would, you would immediately stop thinking about it. You would be so horrified. You would immediately dismiss it. You would, even the picture for a Jew to entertain the thought, to hold the thought of a cross, or to us it's idolatry. To any idolatry to, to entertain, even to think and to envision something that's idolatrous. A Jew would be so horrified, you would rather die, be burnt alive, and God forbid, think, cross our mind, uh, an idolatrous thought, or image, or vision, or picture, or thought. The Alter Rebbe said that's exactly the way we have to react when a negative thought enters your head against a fellow Jew. Can you imagine? When a negative thought enters your head against a fellow Jew, the response, you have to become, you have to reject it. You have to be allergic to it. You have to like, it's like idolatry. How dear, how can I even think a negative thought against a fellow Jew? I remember the older Hasidim, real Hasidim. The real ones. The real Hasidim. <laughs> the Alta, the Alta. The Altas. <laughs> they, they used to live with this line. My great uncle, Ramanda Futafas. They used to live with this Tanya. This was their life. The Rebbe says, even to entertain a thought. See, most people think, not to speak Lashon Hara means zipper your mouth. Thinking evil is even worse than speaking evil. So the idea that for me to dwell on something negative about my fellow Jew, think about it, and chew on it, digest it, and dwell on it, it has to be literally like idolatry. God forbid that something popped into your head, a picture of a, of a cross. Ah, you would be so horrified. You, you, you would immediately dismiss it. You would banish it from your thought. You would stop thinking about it, season the cyst immediately. God forbid you would entertain that thought for a half a split second. That's the exact same allergic reaction you have to have for thinking a negative thought about a village. You know, a great Hasidic Rebbe once said, I think one of the Gerer Rebbe's, he says, everything in this world is by divine providence. He here to teach us a lesson. Because what's the lesson you learn from uh, crooked thinking? There's so much crooked thinking out there. 
you know, you just read a day's New York Times, it's enough to spin your head. Everything there, everything there is so twisted and crooked and upside down. And so why did God create crooked thinking in this world? What's the positive thing you can learn from straight, from crooked thinking? He said, you know, if you see something negative in another person, it's a good time to utilize some of that crooked thinking. Give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Don't see things so crystal clear, so clearly and so cogently. See things a little crooked, you know. Uh, you know, you can get in, in a New York Times mode and see everything upside down and down is up and up is down and, and give them the benefit of the doubt. But the idea that entertaining a negative thought The Rebbe says it has to be like idolatry. And Hasidim, real Hasidim used to live with this. Anyone who doesn't live with this is not a Hasid. He can wear a big black hat and, yes. he, can, and he can scream slogans from today till the end of time. This is a Hasid. Anyone who lives with this line that even if a negative thought pops into your head, you're horrified by the idea how can I think something negative about my fellow? I just can't. You immediately banish it, dismiss it. Banish it to Siberia. You're out of here. I, I'm not going to spend a half a second thinking about it. Just like I wouldn't spend a half a second uh, envisioning this cross or this idol. This is a chas. Anyone who lives by this letter and lives by this, the Rebbe says, then you're mine. Then you're mine. Then you're a Lubavitch chas. <laughs> then you're the Rebbe's chas. Who epitomized and embodied true love your fellow Jew like yourself. So if you're really a chassid, this is it. This is the truth. This is the reality. You live by this motto, you're, you're for real. Then the Tanya really got to you. Yiddishkeit got to you. The Torah got to you. Hashem got to you. Prayers got to you. And if not, it's just a smokescreen. It's just a, it's absolutely meaningless. It's a very powerful line. I mean, I don't know if anyone else even writes something like that. That thinking something negative about a fellow Jew is the same like thinking idolatry, like having entertaining an actual idolatrous thought. It doesn't get more powerful than that. And he explains, continue. For to speak evil of another is as grave as idolatry and incest and bloodshed. And if this be so with speak, then surely thinking evil about another is even worse. The obvious question is. His Lashon Hara, quotes the Talmud, Lashon Hara is greater than idolatry, adultery, incest, and bloodshed, and murder. Where does it say adultery? Incest. Gila Rois could be, it's everything, incest, oh, okay. adultery, or whatever. It's all of the above, and, and murder. So he says, if it's true with speech, how much more so thinking? Now, superficially, Lashon Hara means you're slandering someone. So speaking. Speaking. So what, what, what do you, how could it be Lashon Hara if you're thinking? I'm not slandering, I'm thinking. No one is a mind reader, no one knows what I'm thinking. So how am I slandering someone? How could you say that thinking Lashon Hara is worse than speaking Lashon Hara? Thinking Lashon Hara is not Lashon Hara. I'm not slandering anyone. Only God is. It's an unconscious thought. But again, the point of not speaking Lashon Hara is not just not slandering another person. Torah says, don't slander another Jew, is don't see the negative in the other Jew. Dwell on the positive. Don't focus on the negative. Love, love your fellow Jew. And if you love your fellow Jew, you don't see negative. 
So, Lashon Hara, it's not the speech, it's just the symptom. That you're a negative person and all you see is negativity and all you dwell is on negativity and all you focus on negativity and that's what you harp on and that's what you speak of. It's just a symptom of your inner evil, your inner deformity, your inner dysfunctionality, your inner defects. You don't have your act together. You don't have your life together. So therefore you lash out at the other person. You project your negativity on the other person. A person who's not negative doesn't see negative. He sees it, but he doesn't focus on it. He, doesn't, he has no time for it. He has no, he's focusing on positive. There's so much to celebrate. There's so much to focus on. He doesn't have time for negativity. A person who's only focused on negativity because he's in a very dark place. So the speech is just a symptom of his inner deformity. So how much more so when you think negative about another Jew and you're knocking the other Jew and you're criticizing the other Jew and you're tearing the other Jew apart and you're harsh in your mind, you're harsh and you're destroying the other Jew and you're anti and opposed, etc. And finding reasons why to hate him and to disrespect him and not to love him and not to appreciate him and not to see any good in him and find every fault under the sun and rip him apart and tear him apart and turn him into dust and ashes. Dust and ashes. It's just, it's, it's worse, he says, in speech. Because thought is much more damaging than speech. Thought is much more intimate than speech. It's much more intimate to the soul. That's why you can't stop thinking. You can stop speaking. Some people could. But you can't, you can't stop thinking. Uh, so thought is much more intimate to the soul. So he says, if the Talmud says that speaking Lashon Har is worse than idolatry, adultery, and murder to get combined, how much more so that thinking Lashon Har, thinking negative thoughts about another Jew, is much worse. And the damage that we do is much worse. So how careful we have to be. Not only not to speak Lashon Har, that goes without saying. But God forbid, not even to entertain a thought. The moment you start dwelling on another person's faults and negativity, stop. The Rebbe says it's not your business. God will be a judge. It's God's business to judge us and to watch us and to judge us for our good and for our negativity. It's not our business. We're not the executioner. We're not the judge. We're not the prosecutor. Don't, don't, don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. Don't. Of course, if it's practical, if it's clinical, you have to, you can help someone. And if you love for him, you have to rebuke him. And you have to, if it's your friend, then you can do, have influence with him. But uh, surely, you know, just to hear gossip about another person that you don't even know, and not exactly you can do anything about it, and not exactly having lunch with him anytime soon. So you don't know the person from Adam. Why, why, it's none of your business. Why should I? It's my business that he has a negativity. I mean, what else is, I mean, why dwell in it? Don't even think about it. This Alter Rebbe is demanding of his Hasidim. When they come to Shul, he's asking there should be unity in the community, unity in the synagogue, unity in the community, instead of each one judging the other person and condemning the other person, and looking harshly at the other person, looking askance at the other person, and tearing the other person apart and ripping into the other person, not in speech because you're too polite, but maybe in your head, in your mind, you're knocking everyone around you. You have a long dossier and everyone in the synagogue. This one eats too loud and this one sleeps and the rabbi speaks and this one does that and this one 
this one is this and this one is that. I mean, who asked you to be who asked you to be the bookkeeper? To keep tabs on everyone. You're God's angel of death. I mean, who who asked you to to be the prosecutor and the judge and the jury and the executioner? The Rebbe says, come to show, be positive, focus on your davening, focus on, 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 the, on the healthy sense of unity, respect for every Jew, love every Jew, look up to every Jew, make every Jew feel indispensable. Thank you, thank God that you're here, we need you. If not for you, I'm a cripple. I can't have it. I can't serve Hashem. If you're not, if you weren't in shul, you're not participating, then the whole Jewish people are, are missing. We're missing a finger. So we need you. You're indispensable. Baruch Hashem, you're here. Let's celebrate each other. Celebrate our differences. Celebrate each one's unique qualities. Our diversity. Let's celebrate our diversity. Thank God we're not all like cookie cutters. We're all the same. We're not the same. There no two Jews are alike especially Jews, two Jews, three opinions. So let's celebrate our differences, let's celebrate our uniqueness. Be proud, be, be respectful, be loving. And when you have that energy, then you can daven, then the Shekhinah is present, and Hashem is in the Shul. And then your prayers could be answered, the blessings could flow without any hindrance. But if there's spiritual tension and friction, and this one looks down with his nose at that one, and this one looks up at the other, looks down at the other one, and this one, you know, you walk into some, most companies, there's so much tension, you can cut a slice it with a knife. It's a, it's a wonder that any, any work gets done. This one is stabbing the other one in the back, and this one is undermining the other one, and this one with his fake smile pretends to be a friend while he's trying to get him fired, and each one is calculated, and each one is scheming and plotting, and there are no real friends, and everything is political, and everything is riddled with lies. But you walk into a shul, the Rebbe says, I'm pleading with you, I'm demanding of you, walk into a shul, you should feel that positive energy, because you can sense it. Anyone who's spiritually sensitive, you can sense it. Even if you're not so sensitive, you walk into a home, you can sense right away if there's peace in home. You can sense it, if there's positive energy, everyone is proud to be there, everyone is happy to be there, everyone is happy to see each other, everyone is proud of each other, everyone's united, connected, strengthened each other. Because everyone, everyone has strengths, everyone has weaknesses. And we're not always, you know, we're not always on, on call, we're not always so sharp. There are moments we have our weaknesses, and we gain strength from, from our fellow. When we have a weakness, our fellow has a moment of strength, so we, we, he strengthens me. So we learn from each other, we, we lean on each other, we need each other, we truly depend on each other. That's unity, that's, and you can sense that. You walk into shul, you can sense right away. Is this community blessed? There's unity, there's a sense of unity. Or there's backstabbing, and anger, tension, and superiority complexes and inferiority complexes and, and anger. And so Hatrabi is demanding of his Hasidim. That if this is a Chabad shul, this is the way the shul has to be. No judging, no prosecuting. Don't be the executioner. Don't even think about it. Don't even think for a moment. Don't even entertain the thought of anything negative. If it enters your head, banish it. Banish it to Siberia. It's, it, 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 it's, 
it's toxic. It's it's like it's like idolatry. It's like a cross popped into your head. You would you, you would be horrified. You would dismiss it in a splits in a nanosecond. God forbid to entertain the thought and to dwell in it and to think about it. So a negative thought crosses your mind against a fellow Jew. Out of here, are you kidding? The damage that that thought will do? If speaking Lashon Hara does so much damage, speaking Lashon Hara is worse than idolatry, adultery, and murder. Imagine thinking Lashon Hara, thinking something negative about a fellow Jew. It's much worse. A thousand times worse. So it's lethal, it's toxic, it's, it's poisonous, it's, it's a no-no, taboo, it's prohibited. And real Hasidim live with this. They live with this letter. They live with this, this spirit. That's the definition of being a Hasid. You can't be a Hasid unless you live and implement this, this letter. You can't even claim to be a Hasid if you're not, if you're not working, aspiring to live up to this letter. You can be a hot Hasid, but if in your head you're entertaining negative thoughts about a fellow Jew, Dr. Rebbe says, you're an idolater, you're a murderer, and you're an adulterer, all three combined, and worse than all three together. You're not a Lubavitch chassid. You're not any chassid. You can't pretend to be a chassid and not live, try to live, aspire to live by this, by this whole idea. And he puts it so powerfully, it's hard not to uh, be impressed or, or try to take it to heart. Dr. Rebbe doesn't mince any words, he says. All the wiser part are aware of the greater impact on the soul of good or all the speech, whether for good or for the better. This really means whether for good or for bad. Here, too, however, Alter Rebbe is a traditional euphemism for the better, which could be understood to mean for that which needs to become better. Thought is a soul garment that is more intimately involved with the soul than speech. For this reason, a good thoughts leave a deeper impression on oneself than good speech. And conversely, evil thoughts leave a deeper impression than evil speech. The thought is a constant, just as the soul itself is a constant. Whereas with regard to speech, there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. May the good Lord who blesses his people with peace bestow peace and life upon you forevermore, as is the wish of him who loves you deeply from heart and soul. This is like the moment of truth. You know, a person can say, I love God. But the moment of truth is... The way to God is through your fellow Jew. Do I really love God? Okay, there's one way of... of you want to be honest with yourself. If, if you don't have any friends and you don't have respect and you don't have love and you don't... You're constantly criticizing internally, criticizing, berating, denigrating, putting down... And your heart, you feel a division separation in your heart from a fellow Jew, a distance, an alienation, a coolness, a lack of a distrust, a mistrust, a, a lack of closeness. That, that's the moment of truth. That means that you are not really connected with Hashem. Because if you were, like you say, then you wouldn't have this, this barrier. So this is this keeps us honest. This can't delude ourselves. <laughs> What's law school? Because everything is adversarial. Adversarial. You, know? you, have a, you choose a career that's everything is adversarial, and it, yeah. it plays on you. 
No, but in the, ta- in the Talmud, the arguments also is adversarial, but it's out of love. In other words, to get the truth, you have to take one side of the argument, another side of the argument, but it's not personal, it's not ego. That's why they were able to argue or fight like a fire and water, but at the end of the day, they married each other, they loved each other. To get to the truth. Let's get to the truth. <laughs> True. When we do something wrong, we're aware that God is looking. But I don't think we're aware when we're thinking that God is reading what we're thinking. He knows what we're thinking. It's different when it's physical, but when it's in your head, you're not saying to yourself, when God is listening, I better... Uh, Better change my attitude. Anymore. It's entirely different when you're thinking. There's no, no it barriers. Makes it more difficult. <laughs> there's no barriers. Shem knows everything. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. <laughs> this is the energy and the spirit Al Rebbe expected from a Chabad Shul. You walk into Chabad Shul, it should be uplifting energy, inspiring energy, unified energy. Love for everybody. Love and respect and honesty, you know, genuine. Honest, genuine. This is not, he's not talking about something artificial. You know, smile to the other person. Meanwhile, in your, in, inside you're seething and inside you're ready to stab him in the back. And It's not anything artificial. He's talking about totally internal. He says, even a thought, even to think for a split second, something negative, something pops into your head, you can't control that. Or something. The moment it pops into your head, dismiss it, just like if an if a image or a thought of idolatry popped into your head. You would immediately dismiss it. You would, you would be repulsed by it. You would, you, would, you would reject it out of hand. You would, you would, you would repudiate it. You would uh, be allergic to it. So the same way. You're not even going to think about it. You're not going to give it any energy, even for a moment. You're not going to give it any oxygen. You're not going to let it breathe. You're not going to let it grow. You're not going to let it fester. You're not even going to let it start. The moment the, the seed is there, destroy it. Out. Throw it out. Internally. He's talking about an internal, a genuine attitude. How you really feel towards your fellow Jew. Every Jew is superior to me. That's what Rabbi Meir says in Ethics of Our Fathers. Every Jew is superior to me. I depend on him. I look up to him. I need him. I'm glad that he's here. I'm glad that you're here. Because without you, you're indispensable. Without you, I cannot be who I am. Me. And without me, you can't be you either. We need each other. We rely on each other. We depend on each other. We strengthen each other. And you can sense it. No, I was just going to say, it's interesting that we should be learning Pirkei Avot now, you know, I mean, typically, you know, you just think of it as a bunch of words, you know, but I mean, if you brought this attitude to learning Pirkei Avot, right. it would be very transformative. Right. Right. And that's what you hope. It's really, this should be every shul. Could you imagine every shul in the world you walked into and you felt this love and that welcoming and that unity and that spiritual uplifting? Because when you have this environment, it spiritually it recharges you, rejuvenates you. It's inspiring. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.